book of Romans, the book of Romans, going to start a new series on the book of Romans this morning, one of the most profound books in the New Testament, but not only that, in all the Bible. One of the greatest writings that have ever been written, the book of Romans. God's good. I look forward to the challenge. Will you pray for me that God will help me to teach this book to you? Amen. I taught it one time here in this church years ago while we were in Brazos, on Brazos Street. And felt led of God to teach this to you again. And uh, I kind of had a feeling, thought that I'd like to go a couple of other directions. And then one morning I woke up and God said, I feel the Lord said, okay, go in the book of Romans again. And so for me that was a great call because we just finished the book of Revelation. And I think the book of Revelation is, is something that you have to take a lot of time with and study. And uh, it's, a, it's a heavy book, the book of Revelation. And then the Lord said, book of Romans, and I'm saying back-to-back books like that. <clears throat> so I was sort of hesitant because I don't know if I'm up to it. But I'm going to obey the Lord, okay? We've taught it one time in this church. How many of y'all were in that in the church here at the Bible Center Fellowship when we taught that on Brazos. Okay, a few of you, okay, taught it here, and then we taught it in a couple of other churches. I guess this is the fourth time we're going to be teaching it, and uh, I still don't understand it. <laughs> if you understand what I mean, I still don't understand it. Okay? But we're going to try. Brother Daniel said, are you okay? I said, no, I'm scared. He said, why? Because I don't understand what I'm going to preach this morning. <laughs> Hallelujah. But God is good and it's His Word. <clears throat> the book of Romans. Every time I come to it, I learn something totally new. It's fascinating. Book of Romans, please. In chapter 1, begin with verse 15. We'll read through verse 17. We're going to give you a general overview of the whole book. And then we'll come back after we do a telescopic view of the book this morning. Then we will begin next week and look at a microscopic view of the book in detail. The best way to approach this particular book is to fly over it and see the whole area of land. And then after you see all the area of the land having flown over it, then to, to land your plane. And after you've landed your plane, then you go and look at the details. And that's what we're going to do this morning by the grace of God. Romans chapter 1, verse 15. So as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believeth, to the Jew first 
and also to the Greek. For therein, therein what? The gospel of Christ. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. The righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Or by faith, literally, by faith, the just shall live. It's not a one-time thing. Faith is ongoing, continual. So the just shall live by faith or the justified. The just shall live by faith or by faith shall the just or justified live. For the wrath of God. Let me read verse 18 also. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So we have the righteousness of God and we have the unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you right now for your awesome spirit. Your awesome word today. We thank you for your anointing. We trust God by your anointing, God, by revelation, by knowledge, Lord, that you will help us to see this awesome, awesome truth. We thank you for the book of Romans. What a privileged people and a blessed people we are to have it with us today. We're thankful for it today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This book gives you an understanding of your standing. If you are in Christ, if you're justified, and you have been made righteous, how many know something's happened to you when you got born again? You know, something... Something's happened to you, but do you understand it? See, we don't understand everything that has happened to us. We believe, we know we're, we're born again, we know we're saved, but we don't understand it. Including myself. So this book gives us understanding about our standing. Amen. It is the greatest book in the New Testament on the grace of God. Amen. If you understand your standing, it will remove depression out of your life. It will change your life because it will cause you, because you understand your standing in God, because you understand that. It will cause you, come on somebody, to live in the rest of God. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. See, and the reason we struggle so much is because we don't understand righteousness. We don't understand our standing. So we struggle so much and we, <clears throat> we are often depressed I got a question for you in beginning this morning. 
Where is guilt found in its greatest manifestation? Or where can you find the greatest guilt in the world today? Is it in the world? Or is it in the church? The greatest guilt or people who walk in guilt is not in the world. It's in the church. And because we walk in this guilt, in this condemnation, because we don't understand our standing or our righteousness. Because of that, we are guilt-ridden and we are full of depression. And we're constantly defeated. And the reason why, listen, the reason why there's more, more guilt in the church and in you and in me is because when we're in the world, there's no standard to measure ourselves by. In fact, we really don't care about a standard to measure ourselves by when we're in the world. Amen? Because we're living in sin. But when you come into the kingdom of God and you come into the church, then you have a standard that you measure yourself by and you see that standard. You're always coming short of that. And because you're always coming short of that standard, it brings great guilt and condemnation in your life. Because we have a sin consciousness and not a righteousness consciousness. And this book wants you to understand the grace of God and righteousness so that you will walk in righteousness consciousness, not sin consciousness. You understand what I'm telling you? We are greatly aware of our shortcomings. And we are constantly aware, come on, of sin that's in our life, in our shortcomings. But how many of us understand our righteousness? Because if you understand what, has, what God has declared you to be, it's a declaration. It's not so much that He makes me righteousness. He declares me righteous in salvation. And after he saves me, then he begins the process of sanctification or making me righteous. But when you talk about justification in the Bible or righteousness in the Bible, you're talking about something he declares you are. Whether you feel like it, whether you think you are, Despite your shortcomings or your victories, it is something he declares you to be. And so this book gives you understanding about your standing and it will set you free. The Apostle Paul, in this book we're going to see, he wanted to go to Rome. He wanted to preach the gospel in Rome. He is calling himself the apostle to the Gentiles. So he wants to, in fact, he, because he's been called an apostle to the Gentiles, he wants to go to this very large Gentile population that's in Rome. Paul did not start the church in Rome. He did not found the church in Rome. In fact, most people in the church in Rome don't know him. Yes, they've heard about him, but they don't know Paul. Because again, he's not the father of the church. He didn't start it. He's been preaching in the east primarily. Okay? 
Now he wants to go to the great capital of the West, the Roman Empire. And he wants to preach there because he and his apostle to the Gentiles. But they don't know him. Okay, you with me here? He started Corinthian church. He started the church in Galatia. He wrote letters to them. And I'm just giving you examples here. He wrote letters to the church in Corinth. Answering their questions. And correcting trouble that was in their assembly. Because he's got a right to because he started the church in Corinth. He's got a right to correct the troubles. He's got a right to answer questions because, hey, he started it. He is an apostle to those churches. In fact, he says, I may not be an apostle to anybody else, but I am an apostle to you because I started your work. I founded it. So he is an apostle to those churches because he founded those churches. And so he can speak to them. He can answer their questions. He can straighten out troubles in Corinth. He can thrash the Galatians. Are you with me here? He can literally, because they've gone off into false doctrine and he lays into them, man. And the reason why he can do that is because he is an apostle to those churches and he started them. But when it comes to Rome, you know, he wants to go to Rome. And he wants, in order to go to Rome, he's got to send a letter to them. Number one, so that they will know who Paul is. And then number two, so that they know what Paul believes. This book is the greatest autobiography of the Apostle Paul, of who he is and what he believes in all of the Bible. And he, so if you're going to write Rome, you want to go visit Rome, uh-huh. right? All right? But because he didn't start the church, then he wants to send a letter to Rome so they'll know who he is and what he believes before he goes. Amen? So the question would be, if you didn't start the church, what would you say in your letter to people who don't even know you? What are you going to say? Well, you're going to, come on. You're going to answer the heart cry of all men. And that is, how can a man be right with God? That is the heart cry of all men. How can I be right with God? And so he's going to send this letter. And he's going to explain to them and us how a man can be right with God. Amen. It's called righteousness. And so because he's never been to Rome then. And he wants to send this letter beforehand. To kind of get them familiar with him and what he believes. What he does is see if he can get the church in Rome behind him. You understand? Then he knows with the church in Rome behind him, then he can go into Rome and preach this gospel. Beginning in the heart of Rome, in the center of Rome, and go to the very outmost parts of Rome. If he can get the church behind him. 
You see, because it's going to take some prayer. It's going to take some finance. It's going to take the church behind him to be effective like he wants to be effective in Rome. So he's going to send this letter so that the church can get behind him and his desire to go preach the gospel in Rome. Amen. Support him prayerfully and financially. Hallelujah. And so his desire again is to write a letter to them beforehand. And so there is a young woman who is a deaconess in the church in, in Centria. Her name is Phoebe. Okay. And at this time Paul is in Corinth. It is his third missionary journey. He finds himself in Corinth. Around A.D. 57, he is in Corinth because he wants to gather an offering. He is an, he's an awesome offering taker. He finds himself in Corinth to take up an offering for the church in Jerusalem. Having finished his mission to take up the offering in Corinth for the church in Jerusalem. Are you with me? And this is his third missionary journey. This is after he has written the second book of Corinthians. He's there in Corinth with this desire to go to Rome. And from Corinth, he's going to send this letter to the Romans. So you understand the timing. A.D. 57. Okay. Praise the Lord. And again, there's a woman by the name of Phoebe in Centria. She's a deacon. And he finds out that this woman is going to go to Rome for church business. Okay. So, what better way then uh, to have this letter delivered by Phoebe, a deaconess in the church, a servant in the church. Let her take this letter to the church in Rome from Centria. You with me here? Hallelujah. So he walks over and, and he gets in a house with, with a man by the name of Gaius in Corinth. And he starts speaking, and let me put it this way, just spitting out revelation. And just spitting out knowledge. And Gaius, or Gaius, however you want to pronounce his name, he's over there trying to keep up with Paul. I mean, he, he's writing as fast as he can. Sweat's coming down his face. Will you slow down, Paul? He, Paul just keeps on spitting it out. One truth after another truth. And his secretary, Gaius, is sitting there trying to write it all down, you know. He finally gets through. Gets through. Gives the letter to the Romans to this woman named Phoebe. She makes her way from Centria all the way to Rome. And that's how they got the book of Romans. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And Paul is going to get their attention. Because he's going to talk to them about things that they are in but don't understand. See, you're in something. You don't know how large it is. You are in something. You have no idea how great it is. And so Paul is going to show them. He's going to give them the answer to the heart cry of man. And that is how to be right with God. Can you imagine that? That you can be right with God? Awesome. Praise the Lord. 
And so he talks about it, beginning in verse 15. And, and again, we'll come back and look in detail. But he says, so as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. Right, right. Never has preached there. But he wants to go there and preach. And his ultimate goal is that he can go over into Spain and preach. Amen. Verse 16. For he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, the good news of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as is written, the just shall live by faith. How did you get right with God? How did I get right with God? How many of you feel right with God today? Well, it doesn't matter if you feel it or not. He has declared you that. He has declared you righteous. If you knew how, and, and I pray by the time we get through with it, that you will understand how awesome this book is. Because we're going to talk about righteousness and we're talk about justification. Now, righteousness, what, first of all, let's find out, what does that mean? Righteousness. What does justification mean? Hallelujah. Well, righteousness, English word righteousness comes from an old Latin word, which is right wise, W-I-S-E, right wise, okay? That's where the English word comes from, right wise. The Greek word for righteousness, the root of the Greek word, and I know you really want this. <laughs> it, the root of it is D-I-K-E. Now, every time I start talking Greek, that's when you close your ears. But the Greek word that the English word is translated from, is the root is D-I-K-E, all right? Which means direction. Direction. It talks about rightness or a right way. When you go to the Old Testament... You know, because the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, it's no longer has the root, the Greek word D-I-K-E, or right direction. It is Zadik. To be a Zadik. To be a righteous man is to be a Zadik. The Hebrew word Zadik. You with me here? Hallelujah, somebody. And the word primarily is not so much a word that is legal. It, it's not so much in the courtroom. It's, it's more of a word that when you talk about, you know, justice or justification and righteousness, you think about the court. But it's really not so much a word that is connected to legality as it is a word that is connected to relationship. So when you talk about righteousness, it is a literally a right way or a right standing or a right relationship because it's a relationship word. It is a family word. When you talk about Zadik or Sadik in the Old Testament, a Sadik, a righteous man, you're talking about a person who is seen as living up to normal 
family standards. So if I'm a righteous man this morning, I'm living up to normal family standards. It's a relationship word. Come on. It's purely relationship. So when we talk about righteousness, how to be right with God, we're talking about how to uh, be in right standing with God or how to have a right relationship with Him. So this book is written so that I might understand my standing in Him. How that a relationship with God came about. How I became a Sadiq. How I became a righteous man. How you became a righteous woman, a Sadiq. How you got that. And I'm talking about righteousness in the area of salvation. In the law, you, would be, you could be called a righteous person if your relationship to other people was correct. And the law primarily was given to govern the life of people in the area of relationship with other people. The law was not given to bring salvation righteousness. You need to hear that. The law was given to govern relationships with people primarily. But not to bring, and it never could bring, righteousness in the area of salvation. Do you understand that? Ooh, how many of y'all believe that? Okay. Do you understand? Uh, yeah. I'm sure you do. But that's what this book is about. How many of y'all out there believe that you are a Sadiq, a righteous man? Or a righteous woman? How many of you feel like you're justified? How many of y'all feel like you're in right standing or in a right relationship with God, righteous? The word justified comes from the same Greek root, D-I-K-E. Justification and righteousness mean the very same thing. Right standing or right relationship. So Paul's going to write the Romans and he's going to explain to them how to be in a right relationship, not with just man, but with God. And having given them this understanding of righteousness, how they became right, in a relationship with God. He then is going to explain to them what that means. What does it mean? How does that change my life? How has that affected my life? Because I am righteous and I am justified. I do have a right relationship with God. We're going to find out how that happens. And then we're going to find out what it did for my life. What does that mean to my life? Hmm. What, how is that going to affect my actions in this life? You understand? What has happened? What difference does it make? What difference does it make? You understand? 
What difference does being justified and righteous in God's eyes, what difference has that made in my life? How has it changed me? It this book's going to show you how to act in life since you have become righteous. It's, it's going to show you how it affects your relationship with other people. It's going to show you how to live in this life and please God. Did you understand that? Praise the Lord. See, this is an autobiography of the Apostle Paul because he tried so hard for so long to be righteous with God, to be in right relationship with God, to be right with God. He struggled and he tried and he tried to do it by the works of the law. He tried to produce salvation by doing good works that the law defined was good. Not doing evil and trying to do what was right. That's how Paul tried to be right with God. Or how he tried to be saved. But the apostle Paul found out that the more he tried to keep the law. The farther he found himself from God. See he did not find himself as he tried to keep the law. Come on, he was blameless. He said he, he could lift his hand and say he was blameless concerning the righteousness that is found in the law. But it still did not produce salvation. So no matter how hard he tried, no matter how much he worked to try to keep the law. Come on. He found it never brought salvation to him. And never put him in a right relationship with God. Come on. He was, come on. So he struggled with that. And he kept seeing himself go further and further and further away from God. Because he got, as he got more understanding about the law, he saw the law condemned him. That he, can, he came short of God's righteousness. Do you understand? And so Paul, because he had so many questions, these very questions that he's, uh, the, the answers and the teaching that he gives in the book of Romans is really the answers he got for the questions he had. Do you understand that? By the way, let me give you the answer to the question I had. This is Paul's life. He's got a revelation of it. Praise the Lord. And so struggling. And if you try to be saved by your own good works. Especially. Now I'm not saying all Jewish people walked in this concept of trying to keep the law and by good works being saved. Okay. But that is and it was a concept of the Jewish mind. And what it was was this. That at the end of the day. If all your good outweighed all your bad at the end of the day, every day, on judgment day, 
you would be seen as right with God. As long as the balance, as long as the scale of good outweighed the balance scale of evil, then you could stand before God and God would declare you righteous. That, is, that was in the Jewish mind. That is not in Jewish mind only, but it's in the people's mind today. And it's in the church and it's in this one and it's in me. Do you understand? See, good works have to come from a position of being saved. Not, you know, over here, good works trying to get saved. Good works are produced because you are saved. So Paul understood the, the struggle of trying to be good enough to be right with God. And he saw that he couldn't do it. And he saw himself going further and further away from God. Come on. So he's going to write this church. He's going to explain righteousness. Isn't this beautiful? Give the Lord some praise. So you understand the word justification. The word righteousness means right standing in a relationship with God. Amen. And so what Paul does then, and I'm going to just give you an overview here. Paul, hallelujah, he talks about the gospel of Christ. He says, for it is the power, or the good news of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation. So when I talk about righteousness, number one, right standing with God, number one, it's a gift from God. God gave it to you as a gift. He declared you in right relationship. Whether you deserved it or you didn't deserve it and you did not deserve it, He still declared it so that you are right with Him. So righteousness or justification is when He gives me a gift. He gave me the gift of righteousness. He declared me righteous. The gift of justification. It's a gift from God, number one. And number two, it's His transforming power. When you get His righteousness, you get His justification. You get it as a gift only. Not because you deserved it, but because He provided for it by what He did. It's a gift and it's the power of God to transform you. Justification is an exchange. Righteousness is an exchange. He became sin for you that you might be made the righteousness of God in Him. So He exchanged. He took your sin and gave you right standing with God. That's what justification is. It's a gift. It's the power of God to transform you. And it is an exchange. Isn't that awesome? That's awesome to me. It's an exchange. Now, I'm telling you to set you free. It will set you free when you understand this. 
in chapter 5, in fact, I read Romans 1, 15 to 17. That is the, the, the message of the whole book. That is the theme of the whole book. Let me read it to you again. So as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, the good news of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You understand? For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. From faith to faith it is written that just shall live by faith. This justification, this right standing with God is entered into and received and declared upon us because of our faith. Our trust, our believing in Him. Not trying to keep the works of the law and hoping by the end of the day that your good outweighs your bad. Come on. Let me explain to you. If you try to keep the works of the law, be good enough to be right with God, you're going to enter the same struggle that Paul did. Listen to me. The law was not given to save man. You have got to understand that. Trying to keep it and observe it. Come on. Being good enough. That wasn't the purpose God gave the law of Moses. He had given a covenant called the covenant with Abraham. Long before the law was ever given. And in that covenant with Abraham... The blessing of justification by faith was placed. And then I believe it's somewhere around 400 years later, then the law was given. And so Abraham, justified by faith, and the law are running side by side. But the law was never given to save. Come on justification by faith or right standing with God is by faith by believing we'll explain that to you in a minute the law came alongside and was given to a redeemed people not to redeem them because they had already come out of Egypt by the blood of the lamb and because they had been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, now God gives them the law to govern their life as a nation and shows them how to live as a redeemed people. But they got it all mixed up, and many of them tried to keep the law to produce salvation. This message of justification by faith and righteousness is not just a New Testament thing. Listen, you have to understand, your Bible is one book. I said, your Bible is one book. There is only one plan and one purpose of God from Genesis to Revelation. And he never changed his plan. It has always been justification by faith. Always. Not by your own good works. And everything that Paul writes about justification and righteousness is found in the Old Testament. 
It was promised. It was prophesied. It was not some new thing he come up with. It's in the one book called the Bible. You understand this? Wasn't some new thing. He, he showed, way back in Abraham, this is the way you get right with God. Justification by faith. Thank God for that. And so, hallelujah. Woo, glory to God. When you understand that you have been declared in a right relationship with God, it will change your life. You won't walk in depression anymore. I mean, listen, just in the couple of days that I have spent in preparation for this message this morning has changed me. It'll change you. It'll cause you to stop worrying so much. It'll cause you to stop being depressed so much. It'll cause you to not be cast down so much. Now, he's got the Romans' attention. Because he's answering the heart cry of all men. Oh, glory to God. How can I be right with God? Justification or right with God, right standing. Is a gift from God and it's the power of God to transform you. Come on. Now, in giving you an overview here in Romans, we're going to go to Romans 5 real quick. And you don't have to read it but because I don't have time to read it. But Romans chapter 5. The apostle Paul, he's climbing a mountain. And chapter 5, he reaches the peak of the mountain in the book of Romans. And he shows you in this mountain peak, he shows you where it all began and where it all will lead to. Do you understand? If you're going to understand your standing, then you have to understand what happened in the past and you have to understand where you are now do you, do you hear me and so Romans 5 is a mountain peak to which Paul walks to and when he gets at that mountain top he shows you two worlds he shows you a world in Adam come on he shows us what happened to man, how man fell out of favor with God, how man fell out of right standing with God, how man lost his relationship with God. And he shows to us the world that is in Adam. Adam is the head, the federal head of a world called the old man. When you talk about the world that is in Adam, I'm not talking about a geographical, physical globe. When you talk about the world that is in Adam, you're talking about a system. A system, a fallen system that is called the old man. Do you understand? 
He's the head of that world. He's the head. The old Adam is the head, the federal head of the age that is passing away. Which the Bible calls this present world. Or it's this present age. Or it's the old man. It's a system that is in Adam. Do you understand? If you are in that system of the old world. Or the old man. Or the old Adam. Or the first Adam. Then you are in darkness. If you start believing the lie that is in that old world, that world that's outside of Christ, that world that's full of darkness, if you start believing its message, then you are believing a lie and you are deceived. Come on. He shows you the old world and then he shows you a new world or a new age. Come on. He shows you a new age, a new world with a new head. And that new head, that new federal head that represents this new age or new world is Jesus Christ. I believe it's Psalm 114, it says, This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. That, you know, we, get, we, we, we quote that in relationship to this day we're in right now, this 24-hour day. But that's not what God was talking about when he said, This is the day that the Lord has made. He's talking about this new age. He's talking about a new day that would come. At the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, Jesus would bring up in a brand new day, a brand new age, and a brand new world. So that right now, come on. Because I am justified. I'm righteous with God. By faith in the finished work of Jesus. And I have entered into that. And embraced this rest that he has provided for me. In his finished work. Then I have entered into an, a new age. You're in a brand new age. You're in the age that the prophets prophesied about. They said that there would be a new day. They said there would be a new age. They called it the last days. You're already in it. You're not just, you're not waiting for the last days. You're already in the last days. Because when Jesus came, when he came, he burst into time. And when he burst into time, he brought with him a new age. He brought light. He brought day. He brought life. In the midst of an old world. In the midst of an old age. In the midst of an old man. In the midst of darkness. In the midst of death. He comes and he, listen, he is the new day. He is the last day. He is the age to come. 
Come on, you with me here? So what you have then is when you become justified, you as a person have entered into a completely different dimension than you have ever lived before. You used to be a part of death. You used to live in darkness. You used to live under the old Adam. But now Jesus, because of him and because you are in him, because you're in him, you're a part of the new day. You're a part of this new age. Instead of death, you're walking in life. Instead of sin, you're walking in what? Forgiveness, righteousness. Now watch this. Are you with me here? Do you understand what I'm trying to show you? What the Bible is going to show you. We're going to get in detail here. Awesome God. That's why I'm saying how does this righteousness and this justification, number one, affect our life? How did it change me? What is the difference? How it affects my relationship with other people. How do I walk in this brand new thing that God has brought in? How do I walk in this new age and this new dimension of the spirit? How do I walk in this life and this light? Because I'm surrounded by the darkness of the old world. I'm surrounded by the darkness of the old age. It's a passing, fading age. It's a passing, fading world that's in Adam. Come on. In fact, Jesus killed it at the cross. I said he killed the old at the cross. He killed it at the cross, but he's still hanging around. The old Adam's still hanging around. That old man's still hanging around us. That darkness is still hanging around us. See, we're not, we're not of it, but we're in it. We're surrounded by it. But there's two worlds. The one that's in the old Adam and the one that's in Jesus Christ. And they are side by side. But for you, you have been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. You are not a part of that old age. Now that old age will look at you as an oddball. And that old age will hate you. Because you are no longer a part of it. And you should and I should appear to be odd to them. And they're going to hate you. Because you're in a totally different world than they are. You don't live in the same world that they do spiritually. So they're going to hate you. They're going to fight you. They're going to oppose you. Because they're in death. They're in darkness. They, they're deceived. And so was I until I got justified. Until I got right. In right standing with God. Do you understand this? And so that's what he, he gets up at that mountain peak. And he shows you where. Come on. Shows you the past in Adam. He shows you where we are now in Christ. He shows you those two worlds. Come on. Amen. 
and then back down there a little bit off that mountain. He talks to you about Revelation in Romans chapter 2 and chapter 3. He talks to you about the Jews that are in the old age. And he talks to you about the Gentiles that are in the old age. And he explains to you how the Jews, because they had the revelation of God in the Old Testament. Come on, are you here? How that they did not keep it. So the Jews can't say, hey, we're better than the Gentiles. Come on. Because we have kept your law. No. The Lord says, you're a part of the old age too. You're a part of the old system too. It's called religion. You're a part of an old age religion. You're a part of an old world in Adam. You tried to get saved by your own good works. By trying to keep the works of the law. And the Lord says, you have more responsibility because you had more light than they did. You have more responsibility, not less, Jews. You can't point a finger at them. Because you received the revelation of God and you did not keep it. So you stand condemned. And then he talks to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles, come on. Who didn't have the revelation from God that Israel did. Come on. They stand condemned also. Come on. But he shows us in this book that the Gentiles are the heathen, the nations, were more ready to receive justification by faith or right standing with God as a gift because they know they don't deserve it. They know they can't boast about how good they are. They know they can't boast about keeping the law of God. So they were more willing to receive a gift from God because they know they didn't live up to his righteousness. But on the other hand, the Jews, they got the word of God. And so, you know, they feel like they got a right, you know, to say that they're right with God because they kept the work, uh, the law, but they didn't. So the Lord is going to show you the whole world or the whole age, that whole old world in Adam is, it stands condemned. You need to hear this. I can't stress you how important what I'm preaching to you about is because we, we are up against that concept today. Concepts. You with me here? Now, thank God the Jewish people received the revelation from God. They did receive certain things from God. But the problem was they tried to be good by their own good works. Be justified with God. And God said, no, you're a part of the old world. And the Gentiles, they're also a part of the old world. Do you understand? Come on, somebody. Give the Lord some praise. And he says, if you'll remember... Abraham was justified by faith. He progressively flows into the next chapter. He says, Abraham was justified by faith. 
not by the works of the law. He said, hey, don't you remember the law was given after Abraham's covenant was given? And the blessing of justification by faith is found in the covenant of Abraham? That's how your daddy got right. Was by believing in the God of resurrection. You will remember that Abraham took his son Isaac up to a mountain and offered him symbolically and typically as a sacrifice. And if you will remember, this sacrifice, uh, uh, symbolic and typically in Isaac, is a type of the blood that Jesus was shed for you. You will remember that Abraham, by the way, Abraham believed God. And who is this God? He's the God of the living and not the God of the dead. He's called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know why he's called that? Because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are not dead. But Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are alive. Because he is the God of resurrection. Abraham believed in the God who raised his wife's womb from the dead. Sarah's womb being dead but by faith in the promise of God the dead womb of Sarah came alive and Isaac a promised seed was born not because Abraham did good works and was was a good person but by faith in the promise of God Abraham received his son from the dead womb of Sarah because there is a resurrection God that he believed in. And not only was Sarah's womb dead and made alive. Come on. But when he took Isaac up to offer him as a sacrifice, a type of Jesus' death for us. Abraham believed God to raise him from the dead. Abraham had never, as far as I know in the Bible, Abraham had never seen anybody raised from the dead. But Abraham believed God because God said, I'm going to make of Isaac your seed a great nation. And so Abraham had to come to a conclusion. If this is the promised seed here and I am to kill him, and if he is from whom the nation will come, that means if I kill him, God has to raise him from the dead and so he received him in a type in a figure as one from the dead so Isaac is a type of the Lord Jesus in his death burial and resurrection so Abraham followed the God of resurrection Abraham followed the God of life and was justified by his faith in a resurrection God And so he points the Jews back and says, now look at Abraham. Come on. And then he goes over and he jumps past the fifth chapter, that mountaintop, that pinnacle. And in the sixth chapter, then he starts talking to people who are in this new age, this new world. Whoa, God. In this new dimension of the spirit. 
in this dimension of life in this dimension of light in this brand new age in this brand new life and he says how can you continue in sin that the grace of God may abound you've got a wrong concept church you think that the more you sin the more it magnifies God's grace so what Paul says is this what you need to understand is this you need to start living like you are you are now part of a new world a new dimension in the spirit you are walking in life you are walking in the truth you're walking in the light you've got the spirit of God in you you're justified you have a right relationship and because of that you need to stop sinning how can you continue in sin that's not who you are you need to start living like who you are and who you have become so grace doesn't give you a, a license to sin and your sin and your evil doesn't magnify God's grace he's telling you you're a brand new person so now start acting like it. Start living like it. Start being that new person. Say yes to the life that is in you. Don't, yet, don't say yes to sin. Don't say yes to darkness. Say yes to life. Say yes to your newness. Come on what freedom it is so he's saying you know what he's saying now you're no longer under, under the dominion of sin you are now under the dominion or the kingdom of Jesus Christ so that sin should not reign in you any longer but Jesus should reign in you you shouldn't be walking in the old man, living the old ways. You're a brand new creation in God. You're in a new dominion and a brand new kingdom. What awesome victory to know that now I no longer am under the dominion of sin. Sin doesn't have to control me anymore. Come on. If you're in this new world in, that is in Christ, you shouldn't be acting like the old person. You shouldn't be acting like the old man. You got new life. You got new spirit. You got truth. You're not even going to look the same. You're going to look strange to that old world. You're going to be odd to that old world. That old world's going to hate you. Without a cause. You're not conformed into their mold anymore. Be not conformed to this world. But be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. Stop living. Stop acting. Stop doing. Stop looking. Like the world. Because you're not a part of that anymore. Give God some praise. 
And then he goes over and he flows over into Romans chapter 70. He says, let me give you some more good news. You're no longer under the condemnation of the law. We're not delivered from trying. Listen, once we get born again, we need to obey the word of the Lord, Old Testament or New Testament. We're not exempt from his word, uh, Old Testament word. It's one book. It's one Bible. But what we are, come on, because we're a part of this right standing, right relationship with God in this new age now, this new world. Because of that, now we're no longer under the condemnation of the law. The law, the letter killeth, but the spirit maketh alive. The letter of the law was a it was a minister of condemnation. God gave the law to govern the nation who was redeemed, but He also gave you the law to show that you can't measure up to what God requires, and so it would drive you into the arms of Jesus. So the letter killeth, but the spirit maketh alive, because the law condemns. Every one of us. And so we're free to marry Christ. We no longer have to walk under the condemnation of the law. Give God some praise. In Romans chapter 8, he says... Romans 7, he said, you don't have to walk under the condemnation of the law. You don't have to try to keep the law or, or do good works to be saved. He said in Romans 8, it's life in the Spirit. You're walking in a brand new law. It's the law of the Spirit. It's the law of life. Give God some praise. Be led by the Spirit. Be led by the life that's in you. Be led by the love of God that's in you. The whole purpose of the law. Romans 7. We're no longer under the condemnation of the law. The whole purpose of the law was love. Jesus looked at leaders in his day. He said, watch this. Love God. And love your neighbor as yourself. What was he saying? That was the purpose of the law. Come on, do you understand what I'm trying to say? It was love. If God ever said don't do something, it's because people wanted to do that instead of walking in love. So he says, when you get full of the Spirit and you walk in the love of God, you fulfill the law. It's purpose. You with me here? So we walk in the law of the Spirit now. And because of that, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Those who walk not after the flesh. The old world, the old age, the old system of Adam. For those who walk not after the flesh, the yetzar hara in the Hebrew, the evil inclination, the old system, the old senile, die, sick man. 
As long as you don't walk in that old senile, sick, dying man called the old age or the old Adam. As long as you don't walk in that yesar hara, that evil inclination. Come on, are you with me here? Then you no longer walk in condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Who walk not after the yitzar hara or after the old man or after the old age. Or after that darkness. But walk after what? The Spirit. Are you walking after the Spirit right now? Are you Spirit led right now? Then there should be no condemnation in you. It's only when you start walking in Yetzar Hara. The evil inclination. Come on. Or that old man or that old age. That's when the condemnation comes. But as long as you're led by the Spirit. There's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. There goes depression. Way by to depression. Way by to discouragement. Come on. Are you with me here? And so in 9, 10, 11, then now he's got to face another question. And the question is, well, what about Israel then? Where does Israel fit in all of this? And the basic conclusion we will see is this. Is that, you know what? God can save some dead wood called Gentiles. And if he can save some dead wood called Gentiles. Then he's also going to save the nation of Israel. And you know how he's going to save the nation of Israel, by the way? He's going to save the nation of Israel the same way he saved the dead wood, the Gentiles. And that's by salvation in Jesus Christ and in him alone. That's the answer Paul gives as to what about Israel. They're going to get saved by Christ, by Jesus. Do you understand this? They're going to come out of the old age the same way the Gentiles did. Just like their daddy Abraham. Come on. And in the 12th chapter, he deals with, well, what does this mean to us in our life? Number one. Come on, are you here today? Be not conformed to this world. Be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And because now you're in this new... Come on, you're, you're a new person. You're in justification. You're saved. You have the power of transformation. You've been given a gift. Why are y'all looking at me like that? Now, you need to start acting like the new man that you are. Not like the old, but the new. And by the way, he says, in the church. He starts within the church. How it affects your relationships in the church. He says, when you come into church, the problem is a lot of you acting like the old man. You're in competition with each other. You're fighting with each other. You're jealous of each other. And you bring all that stuff out of the old age that you used to be a part of. And you try to bring that into the house of the Lord. And the Lord says, don't let that come into the church. 
Don't bring that into the church. You are a brand new person. Don't try to bring that old way of thinking, that old system, that dying, senile, sick old man, that old system in Adam. Don't bring it in the house of God. Don't bring that attitude, that competition, that strife, that flesh. See, there's a lot more flesh in every one of us than we want to admit to. He says, now this is, the, this is how it makes a difference. And it's supposed to make a difference in the church. And then he goes on, he says, it's going to make a difference in the state. Now somebody will stand up and say, hey, but Paul, isn't the state a part of the old age? Yes. And every nation is a part of the old age. Republicans, Democrats are a part of the old age. Communists, part of the old age. Everything is a part of the old age. Government is a part of the old age. That's right. So does that mean, because we're a part of a, you know, a new kingdom and a part of a new age, that we're not supposed to respect the government, you know, because by the way, they're a part of that old system. No, Paul says this. He says, because of who you are, because of your justification, because you're of your right relationship with God, you will be the best citizen that the old age has ever seen. You submit to that government as long as they don't tell you to go against God and His Word. And if they go against God and His Word, then you have to say we ought to, we ought to obey God rather than man. But as long as they don't tell you <clears throat> to violate the Word of God or disobey God, submit to the government. Local government, national government, he said, you will be the best citizen that the world has ever seen. Brother Dice used to tell me this a long time ago. He said, if you got a good citizen, you will have a good church member. If you've got a bad, if there are bad citizens, then they will be bad church members. And I have yet to disprove him. I have yet to find him wrong. Because if you're a good citizen, you will be a good church member. If you're a good church member, you will be a good citizen. If you're a bad citizen, you won't pay your bills. You're running from the law. Come on, you're breaking the law. Lord, help the pastor of your church. <laughs> it's the truth. And Paul says, the way... This newness is going to affect your life. And the way you're going to please God in heaven, God, while you're in this life, is, is you're going to act right in the church. Come on. You're not going to bring that old stuff in the church. And you're going to be a good citizen in the state. And Paul says, by the way, if you're not, he's got a sword. We'll call it a pistol on his side. 
you won't obey God's word, then uh, you know what? You might be dead by the sword of that policeman. And rightfully so. Now you've got to remember that Paul is writing to Roman Christians in the most evil empire of his day called Rome. Caesar worshipers. Pagan idolatry. Immorality everywhere. But Paul says, obey the magistrates even in Rome. So he just straightened some of your cookie out. Thinking you got a right to fight the government. No, you don't have a right to fight the government. If it means that you're going to have to lay down your life for Jesus Christ, you don't fight the government. What are you fighting for? You don't want to go to heaven? <laughs> That's why Jesus said in the book of Revelation, said, He that lives uh, by the sword shall die by the sword. Do you understand these things? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And then he closes out the book. Romans closes out the book. And there's all kind, they have all kinds of arguments about conviction things. You know. Come on. Non-moral issue things. Come on. Like if you should have a television or not have a television. Or if you should go on vacation or not go on vacation. Or if you should drive a Volkswagen or you should drive a Lexus. <laughs> In modern day. They've got all these arguments, you know. And one says, I believe it this way. And I think we, this. And Paul says, you know what? In the area of conviction, non-moral issues, receive ye one another. He doesn't say that we can violate the word of God. If God says something is wrong, it's wrong. Yes. If God says something's right, it's right. Whether you like it or you don't like it makes no difference to God if God said it he said it and he means it but in the area of just arguments and you know non-moral issue things <laughs> receive you one another do you understand what I'm saying and that will help the church go better and that will help life go better. And that will help your relationship with each other go better. If you would just stay out of somebody else's business on some things. Just keep your mouth shut. Just keep your nose out of their business. It might make it a little better for you. <laughs> Boy, it got quiet, didn't it? <laughs> Receive you one another. Isn't God awesome? So he deals with all those arguments. Come on. 
He says there's room in the church for difference. We need to celebrate our differences. On non-moral issues. Come on. Personal conviction things. With me here? Give God some praise. Thank you, Jesus. He's an awesome God. He closes the book out. He talks about all of these people. Come on. He, at this time, he don't even know who they are. Doesn't know them personally. But all these Christians that are in Rome... To the day of Pentecost, the church began to spread. It spread throughout all the world. And there were saints that went over there into Rome. And there was a big church in Rome. As far as I know, there was no apostle. There was no father there for him. Paul says, I want to go preach to him. That was his desire. And that's why he sent them this letter. Let me just close by telling you this. He wrote that letter, his third missionary journey, from a place called Corinth. Send it by the hands of Phoebe. Desired to take this gospel and preach it all the way to, to Rome and then to Spain. Justification by faith. How a man is right with God and right relationship with God. By the new birth, you have come out of the old age. He wanted to preach it everywhere. Yeah, somebody, I'm sorry I, I took your cookie that you've been eating on. See, I'm better than him because I don't. I just pulled it right out of your mouth. There goes the self-righteousness. Thank God for salvation. But Paul wanted to preach this to the whole world. He always had these Jewish Judaizers following him all over the place. Pointing, accusing him and blaming him and lying on him. He's saying everything I'm preaching is rooted in the Old Testament. Everything. You have your Bible. You need to read your Bible more carefully. Are y'all awake? And I'm an apostle of the Gentiles. And I want to preach it to Rome. So that third missionary journey from Corinth, having finished the second book of Corinthians, and having completed his mission to receive an offering to take to Jerusalem. He sends this letter from Corinth. To get them prepared for him. And what he believed. Paul, the end of the book of Acts, you see him taken to Rome. He is not, he doesn't go to Rome the way he thought he was going to go to Rome. He doesn't go to Rome a free man. He goes to Rome bound. 
he gets there. He finally gets to Rome. And there for two years, he's got to sit in a house that he's rented. Two years, he's renting a house because the emperor is so busy. Nero's so busy that he can't go and stand before Nero. He's got to wait two years before he can witness, testify before Nero. And so he says, I'm willing to wait for two years. And he goes in a rental house. And in that rental house, that hired house, the Roman government signed to Paul, Roman soldiers. Philippians tells us that whenever those Roman soldiers, oh Lord, they go to Paul. His name means little. You're little in size, but he was powerful in God. He said, it's the power of God and the salvation. Little in size, but powerful in God. And those Roman soldiers, one by one, were chained to him, called the Praetorian Guard, the elite Italian band, the emperor's bodyguard. Chained to this little preacher called Paul. And read the book of Philippians. One after one after one Roman soldier came to the Lord. He won most of the emperor's bodyguard. He was such a, such a powerful, passionate man of God. <laughs> Went all the way up into Caesar's household. So that even, come on, the gospel reached into royalty. And you'll see names in the book of Romans that are attached to royalty. And I'll go through each name and I'll show you their history. Some of them attached to royalty. Watch this. Two years in Rome and preaching. After two years, he goes before Nero and he gives his testimony. He is released. He is freed. The book of Acts ends with him just in, in, in Rome in that two-year time. But after that, he is released. And a Jewish, not a Jewish, but a, a church historian named Eusebius. I have his book in my library. Eusebius lets us know that once Paul was freed, he went about preaching. And it is believed that Paul went all the way to Spain just like he wanted to and into the uttermost parts of the Roman Empire. Possibly even reaching even to Sweden, preaching the gospel. While he was in prison, he didn't waste his time. He went win souls and write book after book after book after book. Prison epistles. In closing. Paul around 66, 67 A.D. After being freed from his first imprisonment in Rome. And I'm telling you this for a reason. Because I want to show you something. After being freed the first time. Is imprisoned the second time. They very quickly go. You know Nero. Yeah. Burns a city. City of Rome catches on fire. And what does Nero do? Blames the Christians. 
So very, very quickly, the first one that comes to mind is the Apostle Paul. And they run over there, and Paul is in Troas at that time. And they very quickly snatch up Paul. Make him a prisoner right out of Troas. Take him straight to Rome. Put him in a small cell in Rome. The last epistle he writes is to Timothy, the second book of Timothy. He writes it. While he was there in Troas, just before they arrested him, he had hung his coat up somewhere. They came in there and they snatched up Paul so quickly, he left his coat behind. In the second letter to Timothy, he said, Timothy, he said, when you come, he said, bring my coat and the books also. Come before winter, bring my coat. He never saw his coat. Shortly thereafter, after he wrote 2 Timothy, they walked in, they grabbed Paul up out of that prison. Never saw winter, never saw his coat. And they take him and they behead him for the gospel of Jesus Christ in Rome. This is the man who wrote to the church in Rome. This is the passion he had souls took him all the way to death I'm telling you that that does something to me it makes me reflect about my own life yeah I'm not you know Paul he struggled to try to be right with God by the works of the law but when he got justified freely by the grace that is in Jesus Christ and when Paul got born again he did more for God in his conversion than he ever did before he met Jesus. He traveled 12,000 miles land and sea to preach this gospel and lost his head in Rome. That's how much he loved Jesus. And that's the kind of understanding he had about his standing in Christ. It will cause you to live a different life. It will cause you to act different. It will cause you to win souls it will cause you to be committed when you understand you're standing in Jesus and there's no man that I know in the, in the word of God that understood the standing in, in God like Paul let's stand praise the Lord Father we thank you right now in Jesus name Lord we give you the glory and the honor and the praise we ask you mighty God that as we understand Father that our relationship with you is based on something you did we thank you for the gospel the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ the power of God unto salvation the power to transform us we thank you for the gift of God you have declared me right this morning. Declared me in a right relationship with you, God. Based on the death of another. Based on the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. The finished work he has provided. Now, Lord, we're a part of it by the new birth. We thank you today, Jesus, for it. All we can do is say thank you. 
And then live it in the presence of a dying, passing world that is in desperate need. Pray for the church this morning, Father, that we would walk in the truth, live in its life, live in its freedom, rest in its completion, manifest it in our families, our church, the world around us. Let people see you in us, oh God, I pray. Father, that the guilt and the condemnation that your church lives in, Father, by revelation of our righteousness, by the power of the Spirit, let us be led by the Spirit. Let us not walk, Lord, in that evil inclination, the old man. Let us be sadiq, men and women, having been declared righteous, from that place live righteous. Not in guilt and in condemnation. But in freedom. In Jesus' name we pray. We thank you for your favor and your grace today. Amen. And amen. God bless you. How many of y'all love Jesus today? Amen. This Romans will change your life. It's going to change your life. It's going to give you such a love for Jesus and such an excitement for Jesus. Such freedom in Him that you'll do more for Him than you've ever done before. But not from a position of condemnation, but from a position of love. Not, because, not from a position of guilty, feel guilty, but from a position of thanksgiving. Look what the Lord has done. When people see you, then you'll have your joy back. They'll say, what happened to you? We've been in the book of Romans. And now I understand my standing. In Jesus Christ. It's going to change you. It's already started changing me. I already feel, I feel so much better. I feel just, just relieved. feel like this weight is lifted off of me. Do you, do you understand that? I don't know if you need that, but I do. I, hallelujah. You know, you're always worried about what this one thinks about, what you're doing there and that and then, and then, you know. Well, you have to talk to Jesus. <laughs> I love y'all. We'll see y'all tonight. Amen. You are dismissed in Jesus' name.